Welcome to Tab's Two Cents, the show where we discuss multiple income streams and macro factors affecting the world today. Hey, welcome everybody. This is the Tab's Two Cents live podcast. I've got Simon Handrahan here with me. We're just going to talk a little bit about uh, market conditions and a little bit about investing styles and what we're looking at on a daily basis. Um, I don't know, Simon, if you want to just yeah, start. Thanks, Joel. Talk a little bit about you know what you're looking at day to day. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, end of summer here. It's been it's been really fun. Uh, hopefully, everyone's had a great summer. Um, you know, I think you know, you check out the markets lately. Things have been um, kind of all over the place. It seems like it doesn't kind of know where it's going. I guess, and it's always kind of fun to watch along. It doesn't really. I don't think it really changes um, kind of what I do in terms of what my choices are in terms of investing, whether I'm buying something new or not. But um, it is kind of interesting to see, like one thing I did look at um, just now was kind of the, the fear and greed indicator. And uh, really it's like a, a meta indicator from, there's there's all kinds of metrics that feed into it. Um, and it's been hovering just above neutral. So like dipped into the greed territory for, um, for the market. So it, it kind of tracks uh, the US stock market and, and various different things. And I, what, what I thought was really interesting was that even though it's kind of dipped into the greed, really most of the sub indicators are actually neutral at this point. Um, and uh, what I thought was interesting there was the only one that's actually above neutral at this point is the one of their momentum indicators for price. So um, I just thought that was really interesting. It's like you would think if it's pushing itself into the greed, then um, there'd be a bunch of things kind of pushing it that way. But it actually seems like really it's just like the stock price itself, um, the market prices, um, mm-hmm. that momentum. And maybe that's really just a bit of a hangover from even the 2022 lows where things are coming down in price. And uh, there was really a lot of bounce back from that. So maybe that was just, uh, maybe we're just kind of seeing the, the bounce back from that. And I wonder how much that'll fade over the next little while if prices don't continue. So. Momentum is always an interesting one to me. Like it's um, something that works while it works. And then as soon as it doesn't work, mm-hmm. <laughs> all of a sudden, um, you know, look out below if there's nothing else really there supporting it. So um, yeah, again, it doesn't, doesn't really uh, change. I don't think too much how I see things, but um, always kind of interesting to see, you know, where, where sentiment is, I guess. Yeah. Momentum is kind of a funny thing, especially, if you're one of those people that play it both ways, yeah, you know, like when is it going to turn? Like when is it time to buy calls? When is it time to buy puts? You know, a lot of the options guys, they're all over yeah. momentum, but yeah, that's you right. know, for long-term value investors like yourself, you just kind of sit back and watch the show. It does seem like a good market for people that are looking for to pick the right businesses that way. It's not mm-hmm. like things aren't, it doesn't seem like things are like overheated in terms of, you know, broadly speaking valuations. Um, I'm sure some people think that's, not the case, but I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Like, what, how have you been seeing things lately? I mean, I think it's kind of a phrase, you know, sell in May and go away. You yeah. heard that before? Yeah. And generally, when they say sell in May and go away, you return to the market in September. Right. And then when September rolls around, everybody's kind of back from vacation. You know, they park their yachts or whatever. <laughs> and they've decided that they're going to start investing their money in the market right. again. And whether that be bearish or bullish, I think that for me, September is always fairly telling right. in how the market goes. 
And there's, there's a lot of things going on that, that has nothing to do with investors, like, like the war in Russia or like, you know, yeah. oil supply and demand, like those guys, like they don't care about people in their yachts. So it's just, right. there's only so much oil or whatever. Yeah. But, um, I do find, do you think like this, the September is kind of a tail of the tape for the rest of the year type of thing in terms of where I'm, things go? I'm not sure yet. Yeah. You know, I haven't really been that aware of it for that long to know. Yeah. And I think it's hard to predict, yeah. obviously. Yeah, sure. But I definitely think that September is a good month to start paying attention again. And I don't think there's any problem with sort of taking the summer off like a lot of investors do because, you know, you can't be full blast. There's all just year like less activity if you're a macro guy. To, yeah, to and, dig into. and you'll notice the volumes are lower yeah. in the summer. And because volumes lower, obviously that can affect the stock prices like okay, yeah. in different ways, right? Even, you know, some of the, the bigger cap names will have lower volumes, so okay. less money can push those stocks up or down. Right. So maybe it's not so much price dependent in the, in the summer. That's interesting. So yeah. like, from a momentum perspective, that there's less volume than you would think. Maybe that's a false signal almost. Or, Could be, yeah. yeah who knows? I, I don't understand the technical mm-hmm. aspects of that. Yeah, like volume's definitely like a huge, a huge player. Like if you watch, like I had a guy on chart, charting Man Dan, oh, yeah. and uh, he, he's a day trader, but he also understands the technicals very well. Yeah. And he's like, when you see like these bull flags and then you see it matched with volume, you know, it's like for real. Right. Whereas you see a bull flag, but the volume's low, then it's, you know, Anyways. Maybe it's a head pick because right. it just doesn't have the umph behind it to like. There's no real fundamental like um, supply and demand mismatch causing anything there. Yeah, yeah, it's like or you know maybe it's just guys aren't interested in in selling or whatever or buying depending on the direction and yeah it can have a big jump. I know like you've noticed it in your micro caps, right? Like, yeah. There's sometimes the spread on the bid and the ask. Yeah. Is like you know five cents on a. 15 cent company. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's going to move 30% on selling one block yeah. of shares. Yeah. Those, those so. ones can be based on uh, nothing. Those, those bids and asks are uh, mm-hmm. non-existent. It's a trade by trade by appointment type, yeah. <laughs> type of market. Yeah. Sure. It's really interesting in the micro caps. Like when you watch them and you're like, you see a 10% move and you're like, Oh wow. But really, there was only one sale. It really doesn't there. mean much. Yeah. yeah it it's not I, like, I had a few that have done that. Um, where all of a sudden the price is up twenty percent. It's like, well, for fourteen dollars or something, it changed hands. It's like, well, okay, mm-hmm. doesn't mean anything to me. Um, that's just somebody with a market order, and it shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, and you're also not necessarily going to be able to sell your whole block yeah. at that price. Yeah, which is something I learned as well. Like with some of these micro caps, like you're like, oh, what's up? 20% I mean liquidate it, well yeah, there's no bids there's good luck that's yeah. a that's a not a real market price per se mm-hmm. yeah and that's that's why people um are drawn to the Teslas and you know, yeah Tesla's like the highest volume trade, right there yeah. Yeah. so you yeah. can get in and it, into it fast and get out of it fast yeah which is really really interesting mm-hmm. but yeah I think um you know September it's to be determined whether it'll be a bellwether for the year yeah but um it's definitely, I know for sure, September is a time when volume starts to pick up and people start paying attention and, you know, the weather's colder, so they're maybe yeah. looking at their, their screens a little bit more or going back to work. Like, everyone starts buying the stocks I don't own and selling the ones like, yeah. that I do own. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I know if I'm a hedge fund manager, I'm not working in the summer. Right. So these guys, yeah, they have their 
their elbows do the work for them through the summer and when they come back they make the decisions i think you think so yeah, yeah that's what i think yeah um, i don't know yeah could be but yeah so you know it'll be interesting um i think this year will be driven heavily by the election um in 2024 and election years are always weird like think about the last ones mm -hmm. right so what 2020 yeah, can be really uh, you know covid changing people's <laughs> perception of what's going to happen yeah know? like i'm not saying that there's going to be a pandemic but yeah a, or that they caused it or anything like that My i'm saying is that yeah it's next yeah that's right like election years are weird and they're always weird yeah so yeah. you know i think the market's going to see some stuff that it's going to react to. Do you think that like for election years, the weirdness is priced in earlier though? Like the uncertainty though that is known like as a scheduled event. So then once the election actually occurs, the uncertainty goes away because the candidate that one is known generally. Yeah, it does get priced in earlier. Yeah. And you'll see that um, if you have a front runner, like let's say uh, it's probably easier to talk about Canada right just just for as an sure. example yeah, yeah. but because we're so polarized but you know maybe they're polarized too but not necessarily in the business world as much i don't think okay yeah so like if um although trump wants to cut more taxes but anyways let's say pierre polar yeah is leading by like 80 percent i would hazard a guess that alberta oil companies are going to be going up you know what i mean yeah in anticipation of him winning right and cutting regulations right making it a little bit easier for them to develop new um, yeah. production and continue the, their business yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like when um when trudeau you know said he was gonna de decriminalize marijuana if he won right as he was leading into that win he didn't with, have to actually win yet for yeah. it to be pressed it yet. became clear that he was gonna win yeah and the pot stocks moved. yeah so yeah. it's That's just great. kind of like those kind of things I think will be happening throughout the election yeah. in the States. Yeah. And if Trump is the guy, then, you know, maybe this kind of bull momentum that we're seeing yeah. now continues because they're going to get tax cuts and they're going to get, you know, they're going to be hard on China. They're going to be pro America. Right. So um, they're going to be doing a lot of things that are good for American companies, but are maybe not so good for other places. You're right. Yeah. So you might even see, some money getting pulled out of other countries and put back into the states yeah so yeah um but yeah that's something i think that will have a huge impact on, on the next year as we move forward mm -hmm. um what about you you have, you uh, had a few things you want to think about. uh yeah the other the only other thing i was really going to mention was um i think markets are still uh pretty good. It's interesting, like, compared to history, like I was just looking at the Schiller price earnings ratio, the S&P 500, which is like a cyclically adjusted number. People kind of talk about it all the time as if it's something that really tells you something in the short term, and it definitely doesn't. Like it doesn't tell you if the number is high, that doesn't mean that you know it's going to crash all of a sudden. But um, it does tell you like what you can potentially expect going forward in terms of returns. Mm -hmm. So it's, right now it's up 31. Um, now that earnings can obviously change a lot as well, the recession coming. So 31 with a potential recession happening in earnings, I guess in a lot of cases, the recession in earnings already has already occurred. So in that case, um, it depends on maybe what industry you're in and things, but it just seems like the 
if you're going to go and like index and buy the market, then I don't know if you can really expect historical market returns of, you know, the, the 10% that people quote. Mm -hmm. I don't think that means that you're going to lose your shirt investing in, you know, the S&P 500. It's still a high quality index by, by all measures, basically compared to other indices, but it's one of those things where would you expect getting muster returns from here? Like it's, it's hard to know, right? Um, seems like it would be more difficult. So yeah, that's, that's one thing I do keep an eye on. Like it, it did come down, uh, last year and then it's really kind of bounced back a little bit. Um, it, it's not like an all time high or anything like that. So it doesn't seem like it's in like this bubble territory and people often quote like the, the median from the historical, like longer term average. And I don't really think that's a good reference because like the composition of the companies that are in the index has changed so much. Um, over the last you know 50 60 years yeah um, a lot more asset light uh you know growth businesses that are higher quality so um it's really tough to compare you know the the index from today compared to the index of 20 30 40 years ago mm -hmm. yeah um i mean locally you know in canada i think a lot of people are often looking at like the housing market as well which i do find very fascinating like I know in, in this area and like in, in, in different areas across the country, um, it seems like people's thesis on prices really crashing when interest rates go up hasn't really come to fruition yet. And maybe it just hasn't happened yet. Um, I think the housing market is typically a little slower to react to those yeah. sorts of things. So I think over the next like year, we'll really tell the tale in terms of is there going to be a correction um, more broadly? Or is it going to be a regional thing? Because I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of sector like demand for housing, and it seems like there's a bit of a shortage, is what the the narrative is anyway. Um, so, like, what what wins out, right? Does affordability mean that housing prices have to, have to come down, um, or does the secular demand versus like the maybe lower, lower supply does that win out and uh, pricing? kind of remain stubbornly high. Um, at some point, if people can't afford to buy a house, then I guess there's no marginal sales and the prices mm -hmm. do have to come down. Um, that being said, maybe it's a little more complicated than that. Maybe wages are what um, come a little more sticky in terms of inflation, and that actually kind of bails out uh, the housing market. It's really difficult to know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, housing is tough. And inflation yeah. is definitely something um i know we talked about before the show that i said i was i was going to mention and mm -hmm. i think and i want to i'm interested to hear your feedback on this but this is my theory this is my yeah go for it my brain is always you know looking for big macro movements and i can't help it's just way yeah, i think yeah. but anyways i think inflation is going to go up in canada despite all of these jobs reports and unemployment and you know, the turning of the economy, our GDP is like, it's, it's going down now, right? So traditionally, your GDP goes down, and inflation also moves down with it, because people are making less things, and they're making more right. money and less productive, yeah, et you know, economics are making less, it's spending less. Right. But we're in a position where our inflation can't necessarily be controlled by the Fed and 
traditional ways. Right. And that's because I have it written down here. So our last CPI reading. So there's a couple things, you know, the main contributors to your, to your CPI. So you've got rent was 5.5% of it. You've got electricity is 11.2. You got meat prices, 7.7%. And then you have mortgage interest costs, which was 30.6%. So, you know, you look at our CPI and 30.6% of that CPI number that is higher than the Fed wants was created by mortgage interest. And that's because they're raising rates. Right. And everybody's renewing at higher rates and paying more money for, the, for their mortgage. And it makes it difficult for them because the higher they raise the rates, the higher the mortgage interest cost is, mm -hmm. the higher the CPI goes. So in 2023, we have in Canada, because we're five-year, it's different than the States. Yeah. Like in the States, they've got 30-year mortgages at 2%. Nobody is selling their house. Right. Like, why would you sell your house at 2%? That creates all kinds of different problems. Yeah, yeah just to just to buy a new losing six oh, percent. Sure yeah. You know what I mean for yeah. thirty years. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, it's it's bad. So in Canada, we had twenty twenty three two hundred seventy six billion dollars of fixed rate mortgages renewing. Twenty four, it's going to be three hundred thirty one, and twenty five is going to be three hundred fifty two billion. So yeah, you know, twenty four and twenty five are heavy years for renewal rates. Mitty talked to lots of people, at least anecdotally for me. Yeah. They're renewing in the next two years. And then, you know, back yeah. in 26, it's down to 230 billion. So I think in Canada, we're going to see an increase in inflation and it's going to be ugly because they can't really hike rates to get rid of it. Right. And I'm not sure what that's going to do to households or what that's going to do to uh, maybe they'll have to hike anyways. Right. Just hope, hopefully everything else right in which case that could cause correction a housing, housing correction yeah because people have no money and the rates will be like seven percent do you think it's possible that you get uh, a price decrease in the housing sector because of these factors um that kind of put a lot of pressure on pricing mm -hmm. but at the same time there's still a supply demand mismatch for housing so does that it's very dynamic. Does that mean that like new house construction still can pump out as much like new home builders do well still, but yet pricing gets hurt a bit? It's hard to say because I think although our our renewal rates are five years, I think if we see inflation and the rates going higher, people will be in a similar boat. So they're not gonna yeah. want to sell, right? Right. So if people aren't selling, they're gonna have to build new homes. So but, it is but possible. If, but if they're renewing and they can't afford it, like they're going to be forced to sell. Yeah, but not right away, right? They'll hold on to it as long as they can. Yeah, yeah. Like even if they, let's say they got a mortgage last year at 5% and the rates yeah. are up to 7 or 8, yeah. they're, they're probably not going to want to sell that house until right. they have to. Right. So, you know, maybe when they do sell, they sell and buy something cheaper and it all goes down. But I'm not sure. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I kind of think it would be dependent on I think it's regional but yeah a lot of people like to talk about the housing market as if it's some big national market but I kind of don't think that's the way it is it's very local um, I think maybe outside like the GTA is a bit different perhaps where like mm -hmm. you know in Toronto um, in the area um, 
there's just so many people. It's a, it's a rather large market and people can move from one point in the market to, to another area within the yeah. same market. But in other places in the country, um, I think in Canada particularly, because it's such a big, mm-hmm. physically big, um, I think it's a very local thing. I would agree with that. Yeah. I think that they're local markets. Yeah. I think what, what could happen is you might see a little bit of migration from the, the you know, the really expensive places. Yeah. And it's already happened a little bit. I think you've seen that happen a little bit. Yeah. yeah. It could continue. I know that um, Calgary and, and Alberta and um, mostly Calgary, I don't know so much about Edmonton, but their, yeah. their markets are booming right now. Yeah. Because it's um, affordable. And yeah. People are leaving Ontario. Yeah to go there and because yeah it's more affordable and the taxes are lower yeah so yeah i mean yeah that could that could definitely happen yeah so that that type of thing could really um i think that type of thing could relieve some pressure Mm -hmm. for sure yeah yeah and you know outside of canada the the overall i know did you see michael burry um took a big huge massive one i think it was 1.3 billion dollar short position um wasn't that on like derivatives though? Like, so the notional value was some big number, but the actual amount that oh, he was wasn't that high. It could have been. Maybe. I'm not sure. I, I did see like headlines and stuff. I didn't. All I saw was it said he took a $1.3 billion short um, on the S&P 500 and uh, the overall, some other sure. American thing. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that was headline, um, Big more than anything. Maybe. <laughs> if it's derivatives, it's yeah. totally different. I think it might have been derivatives, but I might mm-hmm. be wrong. Um, Either way, so someone, someone can correct us. Yeah. yeah. Chime in. <laughs> um, yeah. Obviously, we don't know what we're talking about. But yeah. I mean, I mean, he's a, he's, he's a shorting headline. something. So he's, he's a, he's a trader though, right? Like he's, mm-hmm. he's making bets. Um, so he, he goes long and short. So that, that mm-hmm. seems like a reasonable, um, thing for him to do potentially whatever his thesis is. I don't know if he talked about his actual thesis or that was just a filing. He just did like a Twitter post. Oh, okay. It was like, I'm short. And it was like this much. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, without a thesis to know like what he's making the bet on or like Mm -hmm. what his actual like time thinking is on it, it's it's difficult to really. It'd be interesting to talk to somebody like that and be like, why are you short? He's, I think he's lost since he posted that. If he hadn't exited, which he probably has, yeah, I think he's down like 30 or 40%. And a lot of that is due to like the tech boom we're seeing. Like I have this written down here tech froth. Yeah. And uh, NVIDIA um, is up 231.9% year to date. And this is a company with a market cap now of $1.2 trillion. It's kind of, you know crazy yeah isn't i think that that's insane and i don't it's it feels to me like one know. of those moments where you're like yeah how did i not think that was insane <laughs> you know the real think? question you should ask is how did i not obviously make that bet in february when it was obvious and the price wasn't sky high yet yeah to go long <laughs> yeah yeah because it was almost it was fairly obvious yeah almost in hindsight it's obvious but even in, in the moment i think it was march or or something. I was like, oh yeah, AI. Well, Nvidia is gonna like, yeah, they're gonna crush it. it. Obviously, yeah. yeah, that's what they're all their GPUs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, um, if I had that thought, well, I didn't act on it, obviously, but like, if I had that thought, how many people had that thought? Like, a lot. Uh, yeah, a lot for one point two trillion dollars worth. No enough to actually make any bet. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Anyway, it seems seems crazy. Um, 
I thought that, yeah, like the price of sales, how much, like, I don't know what the revenue is like, but it's not anywhere near a trillion dollars. It's um, they're beating is the thing. It's like, I thought I heard today is 40 something times sales or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's growing. Obviously it's growing like triple digits maybe or something per year, but even still, um, I think it has, like, it has to like put up astronomical growth for like 10 years in a row just to justify today's models, yeah. right? So to do that, you would almost have to assume that they're going to get all the market that they're going after mm-hmm. over that period of time without like some competitor coming in and like grabbing some of the, taking some of that market share from them, which yeah. why wouldn't they? Like it's good margin, good growth business. Mm-hmm. If you're a big tech business, that's even remotely capable of going after that market. You don't think that you're going to be going after it. Like, yeah, of course you are. Right. So mm-hmm. I just, when you think about the time horizon associated with those big high multiples, um, and then you couple that with like, they have to defend their market position for that whole time mm-hmm. for the next 10 years. It's difficult for me to like, yeah, be able to bet more than $2 on that. <laughs> I know. I think I'd, I'd have to do some like real good dives to figure out what their mode is. Like what I makes NVIDIA so right special? I think it's just, tech for now they haven't advanced um in how they design their gpus isn't it mm. well I, I don't know i don't know i'm wondering what's stopping you know micron or amd or any of these other chip makers from i think it's just time to be honest like there's yeah. expertise obviously that they have to develop and mm. but it's time and money i think but so yeah they're just ahead of the game they're ahead of the game which gives them like a bit of a defensible position in a market that's constantly kind of mm. like think about like the chipset if it's always you know advancing and you have a position lead you're two steps ahead all the time yeah right because it's an incremental changes so like if, if your competitors are two you know years behind you mm-hmm. it's very difficult for them to all of a sudden be at the same place as you now the real thing to look for i guess is you watch for missteps like unforced errors um with nvidia i guess right yeah so I think that's what happened um, to some extent with like um, Intel. Mm. Back in the day, they always had like a bit of a lead, I think, in their chipset. But uh, at some point, they fell behind just because they weren't advancing the way they should have, and they really lost their market lead. Position. Yeah, I wonder why. Um, you know, that does happen in big corporations, and yeah. sometimes you wonder if it's something to do with management teams coming in, and you yeah. know, a little bit of political. Big, big businesses you know, are jostling going yeah. on that yeah. they lose focus Maybe. of you know what their job is rather than they lose know. that motivation or the hunger. It's hard mm-hmm. to know. Yes, we can speculate all day. I mean, it's certainly happening with with Tesla, and this is a company I've had, I did buy once, but I sold it. But it's like you watch the EV market play out, and you can't. You honestly, I think Tesla, it's not something I would buy because I think it's overvalued. Mm. But from a company perspective, like they're crushing it, man. Yeah. Like their cars go further, they're cheaper, you know, they're building them all over the world, they're yeah, selling they more. You know, and I think it's just, as you say, they're just like one step ahead of it used the to be like cool to own a Tesla, though. I don't know that it's as, yeah, it's such a cool thing anymore. Oh, I don't think so either, yeah. but I don't think they care. Because they're well, selling, you know, three, yeah, you know, 
like you see them everywhere now. But so. like the strong desire to go and buy a Tesla was often like, oh, that's like the really cool thing to do. And I don't mm -hmm. know if that's quite the same anymore. I think um, they've lost some branding power. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. That's just my theory. What do I know? Uh, <laughs> well, that's what we're here for. It just seems like there's so many of them around. It's not this novel thing anymore. So mm -hmm. they lost a the bit of that shine. Yeah. Um, and it's become the thing that kind of everyone does once mm -hmm. they get to a certain point. So it's not like this amazing thing. Yeah. Like everybody gets, you know, the right. paycheck and buys a Tesla. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Middle management buy Tesla. That's like yeah, the that's standard right. approach. That's right. Waspy white guy. Yeah, work for an energy company, buy a Tesla. Right. Yeah, yeah they go on the ground, buy a electric car. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's just you see the F-150 Lightning, and I don't know that like Ford's losing money on their EVs. Yeah. And Tesla's profitable, right. so I'm like, I guess they're winning, but the, it's so priced in. They have to win for the next like 10, 20 years, and as you say, it's um, it's one of those things where a couple of missteps, yeah. you know, you don't never know what Toyota's got cooking because yeah. those guys are are crazy with tough game uh, electric beef yeah with hydrogen fuel cells outside and, of like porsche and ferrari i don't know that people have like brand uh what else that much with cars honestly mm -hmm. maybe some super high-end BMWs are mercedes i'm not sure yeah i mean i think that it depends where you live again there's there's a lot of like you know four gm guys or whatever but you know it's uh yeah, it, it could go either way. Um, yeah, another thing I wanted to talk about as far as inflation goes, especially in Canada, and this affects the world, not just Canada, but I think that we're going to see um, an increase in oil prices. Yeah. And there's a, there's many, many reasons for that. Um, the smallest of which is not the war in Russia. Which is, hey, <laughs> so this, dog. Is, this is what happens when you do a live yeah. video. You get a dog. Um, it's your secretary. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Um, so, anyways, oil prices. Yes. So the war in Russia. The thing with that, okay. I'll wait till you. Go. <laughs> okay. No worries. <laughs> So yeah, it's okay. We have zero viewers at this moment. Yeah. We had one he left when the dog showed up. <laughs> more of a cat guy. Yeah, more of a cat guy. Um, so uh, yeah. Putin and uh, oil prices. Okay, so let's start again. Um, so inflation is going to go up, I think, because oil prices are going to go up. And when you look at the war in Russia, there's a few things that are happening there that may be missed, you know, just from the outside. Mm -hmm. And what's what's happening, I guess, is what I've been reading and, and hearing about, other than, you know, one of the largest oil producers in the world being at war, yeah. which is obviously a huge thing. And they're gonna be burning their oil to fight a war rather than exporting it. But they're also gonna cut and for different reasons, you know, I think they're then the Masadis and the OPEC, OPEC plus they're they're cutting production because they want to keep a high oil price. Mm -hmm. It it's kind of like a funny balance. It depends volume and price, right? Mm -hmm. So there's two ways they can make money. They can make money on 
on a high price with lower volume or they can make money on more volume on a lower price. Yeah. So they have to you know, keep that balance in check, supply and demand. Yeah. And, um, but I guess what's happening in Russia is there's a lot of brain drain going on. Okay. I don't know if you've heard that term. That before, makes sense. I have. Yes. But um, so they're going to be, they're pulling their best assets and using them for the war. Right. So that they take their smartest people out of the oil field. Yeah. Send them in to strategize on how to beat yeah. Ukraine. Okay. So there's not going to be, they're, they're certainly they're, not going to be. They're, so their oil operations are going to start suffering. Yeah. Point. There certainly won't be any innovation there. Right. For the next however many years. Yeah. There's certainly not going to be any increase production because all of these people that would, you know, be doing the work to build those are fighting a war yeah, now. Yeah. You know, you get your young people and then yeah. the same people that are soldiers are going to be fighters. Yeah. So, you know, there's all this personnel that's into the war that would have been hmm. a, yeah. a roughneck. And, you know, I think that that's going to have a big impact on, on the global market and Russia's they're really good at playing a strong hand They're saying we're going to cut oil production because we don't like what America's doing with you. Yeah. We're like, well, we don't, we don't like what you're doing over there. So we're going to cut production. They're just like, can you get like the actual like lower number still? You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting, interesting time over there. And then, you know, not to mention there's all yeah, elsewhere in the world you're seeing, uh, lower rig counts right. and you're seeing, you know, this uh, push for green energy, which is pulling a lot of investment out of oil and gas. So yeah, I think we're going to see higher oil prices and uh, yeah. just, just to, that's an interesting theory. just sure. to back up my earlier statements about Canadian inflation, if the oil goes up, but we're, we're you're, everything goes up. And, right. Yes. And, you know, we're, big input cost for everyone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like it, you know, it takes, yeah. fuel to move your groceries to the grocery store and then you yeah, have to drive right. to buy it and it's just it is what it is yeah well just food production in general takes a lot of energy for sure mm -hmm. yeah yeah no that's a good uh i like that thesis that that's an interesting one to think about so what would you watch for to see if it's playing out see what see what russia's doing i guess versus what they're saying i think honestly probably just the oil futures are the best yeah. the best thing they can to be watch clean. because um it's all going to be so hidden like it's going to be hard to see through the iron curtain as right, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so right. without, without a spy in russia i'm not right. sure i'll be able to figure out what's going on but i think that just you know keep an eye on oil futures price doesn't lie i guess yeah, yeah. it is what it is yeah so like with the commodity um you know it costs what it costs and, and you can see it in the futures curves yeah and those guys they need the oil to produce their thing yeah. Right. So, so they don't mess around. They're like, I need to make gasoline out of this. So I'm going to buy it in five years in advance at this price. Yeah. So they don't, uh, they don't really, there are some traders and the financial, like the financial um, market for oil is, I think it's like 20 times bigger than the right. physical like market. The markets yeah. For trading. Yeah. Conservative. Yeah. It's like 20 or I used to know the number, but it's compared to like the physical market. Yeah. Like the difference in prices that are exchanged back and forth compared to the actual barrels is like, right. Yeah. I think maybe be like 80 times bigger. Okay. So yeah. it's, you know, you so can see the price it, contract. It kind of amplifies the movements that I Yeah. Like you can see the price contract in a, in a way where the financial markets are telling you something's going on, mm -hmm. but then you still have heavy demand in the, physical market 
So it's kind of hard to know, but I th you have to, you have to like kind of ignore the volatility and look for the mega trends in commodities. But, but yeah, I don't know if you had yeah. anything else you want to no, add. No, I think that's a, that's a really good spot to leave it probably, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. That's fun. Um, so yeah, that's what we're looking at. Yeah. You guys have any comments, let us know and we'll take it up next time. <laughs> thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thanks Joe. Joe is not a financial advisor and may have interest in the stocks discussed on the show, so do not take any information included within this podcast as a recommendation or formal advice. Thank you. Yeah.